Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. Today is VBPH Sunday, where we feature a message that was recently preached from the pulpit of our church here in Virginia Beach, Virginia. You'll hear from Pastor Adam Dragoon and any other visiting preachers who have come through our church. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. Amen. Thank you so much for your generosity this morning. What a blessing to be gathered together in the house of God this morning. Who's got the victory? Hallelujah. You can find it before you leave this place. Hallelujah. I want to ask you to open up your Bibles with me this morning, the book of First Chronicles, chapter 15. First Chronicles, chapter 15. This is another one of those messages that came directly out of my daily Bible reading program. And I'll just give another plug. We have, uh, as a church, we have a Bible plan that we are going through together uh, that you can also join us. So this would be another opportunity. If you are up to date, you would have already read this scripture. Hallelujah. First uh, Chronicles chapter 15. This caught my eye. And uh, uh, what I love doing when it comes to the Word of God is I love finding scriptures that I may have read before, but I have never... Uh, either preached out of or really contemplated deeply. And uh, you know what we have here is we have an inexhaustible resource, the Word of God. Because as time goes by, as you study the Word, you can, you can read it on, a, on a, a daily basis, on a monthly, on a yearly, and you can be on a good plan. And you can read through it time after time. And even with changing seasons of life, you get different things out of it. And that is certainly the case uh, as I read this scripture, and I hope that this message will be a blessing to you. How many of you have ever lived through 
what I like to call a hef, an H-E-F. That would be a huge embarrassing failure. I've had a few of those in my life. It's one thing to have a failure uh, and remain anonymous. But it's quite another thing when you have a failure in front of everybody. Uh, Causing embarrassment, causing uh, guilt many times, and a sense of shame. And uh, if you've been through a hef before, you know that it can be difficult to recover after one of these. But what we realize as we grow and mature in life is that failures can be our greatest opportunity to learn things. Is that true? I want you to think about for just a moment some of the greatest lessons that you've learned in your life. How many of them were the result of a hef? You were embarrassed, you messed up, people got hurt, but you learned something. And if that is the case, then no failure is wasted. God uses our failures. In fact, the Bible is a collection of hefs, people, God's people, making huge, embarrassing mistakes, learning from them, then going on to do the right thing. Abraham was, uh, was no exception. He went into Egypt lying about his wife and his relationship and didn't turn out very well, but you know he learned something from it. He learned to believe in God. And later on, when God called him to go and offer his son as a sacrifice, he did not question. He learned something. We see this over and over. Moses, Moses, uh, the author of the first five books of the Old Testament, as tradition goes, uh, he was not always the great man of faith and power that we think about. When he was 40 years old, he ran away from his responsibilities, killed a man, was embarrassed by his actions, spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness, but he learned something. He learned to listen to God when the time was necessary. And so we can take heart this morning. Maybe you're in the midst of a huge embarrassing failure. Or maybe you have got one in your recent past. Well, I want to preach especially to you. And maybe if you're not in that place this morning, this is something you can put in your back pocket and be reminded of the next time you experience a hef. No failure is wasted as long as, listen carefully, it's not repeated. What we have many times, the problem in our lives is not that we avoid mistakes. Everybody's going to make mistakes, going to have failures, and sometimes they're huge and embarrassing ones. The real problem is when we repeat those mistakes. And that, that is something the Bible calls foolishness. If we're going to learn to be wise and we're going to learn to be mature men and women of God, it is required for us to learn from our huge, embarrassing failures. And that is exactly what we see in our Scripture, in the the account of King David. And it's the story of as he is trying to move the ark uh, back to Jerusalem after a victory. And uh, let's pick it up here in 1 Chronicles chapter 15, beginning with verse 11. David called... For Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, and there's another list of Levites there, verse 12. He said to them, you are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves, you and your brethren, 
that you may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel to the place I have prepared for it. For because you did not do it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult Him about the proper order. You know, that's a mistake when you forget to consult with God. Verse 14, So the priests and Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel. And the children of the Levites bore the ark of God on their shoulders by its poles as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come by the precious blood of Jesus. Praying, God, that you would give us a heart of wisdom. Lord, the fear of of you is the beginning of wisdom. And I'm praying, God, that you would restore our fear and awe and respect for your word and your truth so that we might not repeat the mistakes of our past, of our youth. We may go forward with revelation and understanding. We give you glory this morning in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, this is a message I've titled, Do It Right This Time. And that's what we find, the lesson of David's life. David is not a perfect man, and we see that over and over in the Scriptures. He makes a lot of mistakes. But one thing you can say about David is that he learns from his mistakes. So let's look at doing the right thing in the wrong way. It is impossible to understand this story without rewinding and giving a little bit of context to why this is such an important moment in the history of David's life. This is a story of how David wants to move the ark of God from where it was to back to Jerusalem where it's supposed to be. Now, as you know, the ark of the Lord is a wooden box. It's, uh, it's a storied um, uh, uh, chapter in the book of Exodus where God instructs Moses to create this ark, and it's essentially a wooden box. It's covered in pure gold. It has beautiful, ornate uh, decorations uh, all inside and out. It has uh, four uh, rings on the corners that the poles will go through, and you're supposed to carry the poles on the, on the shoulders of men. And inside this box, we know there was, uh, there was a few things. There was the, the, uh, the two tablets that came down from the mountain. There is manna uh, as a record of God's provision for His people. There's also the rod of Aaron, uh, which proved His authority in the children of Israel. So there's, these are pr- precious things in the history of God's people. But really, what the ark represents, it represents the power and the presence of the living God. The ark was at the center of the tabernacle. The tabernacle was the tent of meeting where the people would go to worship, where they would go to make sacrifices, where they would go to hear from God, where they would go to plead with God. And there, in the most holy of holy places, was this ark of the covenant. It was a reminder of God's power and presence. And whenever Israel would go out to war, they would remove it from its place. They would carry it out before their army. And, uh, and when they were doing things the right way, uh, this ark would represent God's power and God's presence and would lead the people to victory. That was the whole idea. We're going to depend on God, His power and His presence wherever we go. But the problem in history, if you know your Bible history, is that it did not remain this way 
forever. There was a very sad situation which took place where the ark had been captured by the enemies of God's people, by the Philistines. And you know the story, one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament, where they capture the ark. And you have to understand, this would have been seen as a terrible failure. Where the ark, the the thing that is supposed to be your rallying cry, the thing that is supposed to give your army victory and power and the presence and blessing of God, and here come the Philistines. And they capture that thing. And they take it back to their homeland. And uh, the Bible records how they take this ark and they put it in the temple of their false god named Dagon. Anybody remember this story? And in the temple of Dagon, one of my favorite stories, they put it in there and they've got this Dagon, this idol, this statue, and uh, this was a fish god that they worshipped. And so they go in and they, they leave the ark there thinking okay, we're just collecting another god that we can worship in our temple. They put that ark next to Dagon. When they wake up the next morning, they walk in, and Dagon has fallen off of his pedestal. And Dagon, the false god, this statue, has fallen in the middle of the night. As a sign, here's what it is, that in the presence of God, no idol will stand. That's a good lesson for your life. In the presence of God, no idol will stand. Whether your idol is Dagon, a fish god, or whether your idol is your car, or your relationship, or your job, or your house, or your possessions, or your girl, or your boy, anything in the presence of God will fall. Come on, somebody. That's good preaching. And so they learned the lesson, uh, and another powerful lesson that the Philistines learned. How many are glad that God speaks to the foreigners too? Man, God, He, he doesn't, re, he doesn't uh, keep His rebukes back from the unbelieving pagan world. So they, they get this thing, and uh, the, the second night they come back, now the statue, His hands and His head have been broken off, and the presence of God is just destroying their whole way of life. And they say, we can't take this anymore. Here's a choice that we all have to make. Lessons. This was not even in my notes. This one's for free. When the presence of God begins to correct things in your life, you have a choice. You can either receive that correction or reject that correction. And what the Philistines did is they said, ah, we don't like this. We don't like our idols being broken down. So instead of inviting God's presence back to help us, we're going to kick it out. And this is what so many people do. They get convicted by God. They hear a correction from God. They read a scripture that interferes with their life. And instead of changing their lifestyle, what do they do? God, go away. I don't want your influence. I don't want you to speak to me anymore. So that's what the Philistines did. They said, we can't handle handle the presence and the power of God in our city. So get it out of here. Get it back to those crazy Jewish people because only they can handle it. (laughs) <laughs> so they, they kick out the ark of God, they, they take it to another place that is just over the border of Israel. And there, uh, in that city of Kirjath-Jerim is the name of the place, the ark of God remained there for 20 years. Now remember, this is supposed to be the center of their worship. The ark of the covenant represents the very person and the work of Jesus Christ. In the same way that Jesus is the center of our lives today because of His work on the cross, 
because of the grace and the mercy poured out from the cross, everything leads to Jesus and everything comes from Jesus in our services today. The center of our worship today is not a pulpit. It's not a pastor. It's not a church. The center of all of our worship today is Jesus Christ. He is our power. He is the presence of God. And in that way, the ark of God, when it came out of the Philistines' possessions, it went back to Israel. But here's the problem. It did not go back to the center of their worship. It remained outside of their capital, Jerusalem. And so there's a problem there, right? The problem is that the, the correct place for the ark to remain is in the temple in the center of Jerusalem so that God's people can go and worship there. Can experience God's power and His presence. But for a time, 20 years to be exact, the, the ark of God was not in the right place. It was separated. It was outside of Jerusalem. For 20 years they had this problem. And so David becomes king during this time. David begins to understand that, man, it is very important for us to restore the worship in our temple. It's very important for us, not just to win uh, military battles. David says to himself, there's a reason why God keeps giving us victory, is because we're inviting Him to be a part of this process. David was a man after God's own heart. He was not only a military leader, but he was a man who sought to please God with everything that he did. And so it got into the heart of David. You know what we need to do, boys? We need to get the ark of God back into the temple. We need to bring the heart of our worship back into the temple the place where it's supposed to be. We sing a song called, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. That's David's desire. Lord, I'm grateful for all of the military victories. I'm grateful for the horses and the soldiers and the battles that we're winning. I'm grateful for all of those things. But you know what we really need? God, we need Your presence. We need Your power. Can I tell you? That's still true in our service today. Oh, it's so great to have a nice church building and some cushy chairs to sit on and some carpeted floors and some beautiful new uh, autumn flowers. Thank you, Miss Leanna, wherever she is. And it's nice to have, you know, our programs and uh, outreaches and uh, the Harvester's Homecoming. and it's, All of those things are great. But what is it if Jesus is not at the center? What is your life and all the victories that you have? What is your life if you have a car, you have a nice house, you have a place where you can lay your head, you've got children going back to school, you've got a blessing in your life, but what is the point of it without Jesus at the center? What's the point of it? Because the Bible says that there's a day that's coming when everything in this world is going to burn. And then whose things, who will belong? Who, who, wait a second. Then, who will those things belong to? There, I got it. (laughs) Jesus called the man who was building barns and bigger barns. He said to him, you are a fool! Because tomorrow your life will be required of you. That's why we have to have Jesus at the center. That's why David said, I got to have the ark. Not where it is now. I got to have it there in Jerusalem, where it's supposed to be. At the center. So here's here's David's purpose. Here is his heart. Here's what he wants to do. 
I want to get the ark out of this city and I want to get it to Jerusalem. Is that a good thing? Is he doing it for the right reason still? Okay, so he's doing the right thing for the right reason. But there's a problem. Because the first time that he does this is in 1 Chronicles chapter 13, and he makes a hef. Huge, embarrassing failure. And we can read about it. First uh, Chronicles 13, verse 3, Let us bring the ark of God back to us, for we have not inquired at it since the days of Saul. Verse 7 says, So they carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab and Uzzah and Ahio drove the cart. Okay, so here, here we're going to get into some details here. You've got to pay attention. David is doing the right thing, and he's doing it for the right reason. So what's the problem? The Bible says he did it in the wrong way. He was doing the right thing for the right reason, but he did it the wrong way. It says that they put the ark of God on a new cart. Say the word cart. That is very important. You might not think it's important, but it's very important. Why is that so important, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. If you rewind back to the laws of Moses, Exodus chapter 25, listen to what it says about the ark. Same ark that we're talking about. So you shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark, that the ark may be carried by them. The poles shall be in the rings of the ark, that they shall not be taken from it. Then in Numbers, giving us some, some more detail about how we're supposed to handle this ark, it says in Numbers chapter 7, verse 9, But to the sons of Kohath he gave none, because theirs was the service of holy things. They were to carry the ark on their shoulders. So God had provisioned, God had given instruction. How do we handle the ark of God? Do we just handle it any old way? Do we just kick it around like a football? Do we just drag it down the road with some rope? No! This is the power and the presence of God. That means we treat it the right way. That means there's some rings on the corners of this box, and there's some wooden poles that go through the rings. And whenever you want to move this thing, you don't just uh, kick it around. You're going to carry it on the shoulders of men. Not just any men, by the way. There is a, a tribe within the tribe of Levi. The Kirith, what was it called? The Kirithites? Something like that. Uh, Kohathites. And these were the men whose divine purpose was only this one thing. To carry the ark of God. That was their job. They, God gave them nothing else to do. You are the guys to prayerfully prepare your hearts to carry the presence of God. Now maybe you could understand why God got so upset when the ark fell on the ground. You can read about that in 1 Chronicles 13, verse 3. Uh, sorry, verse 7. Where they carried the ark of God on a new cart. On a cart. Was it supposed to be on a cart? Now... It would be nice to carry the ark on the cart. Well, because the cart has wheels. That would make things a lot more convenient, man. You just put it up there in the cart, have the ox pull it. Yeah, that's a lot easier. We can just, we can just whip the, the ox whoosh, and make him carry the thing. Make him pull the ark. By the way, man, carrying something on your shoulder, that thing is heavy. It's covered in gold. It's got weight. It's got girth. 
It's got mass. It's heavy. Somebody's going to be sweating. And by the way, David, man, he is excited. Let's get this thing done, guys. Come on. With no delay. We just, let's get it to Jerusalem. And in his haste, in his hurry, he forgot to ask God the right way to do this. And when he did that, it was a grievous mistake. Can I tell you, whenever we have a new idea about how to do God's will, it's going to turn out bad. Can I tell you, in our culture today, we have a lot of carts that we are trying to attach God's presence to. We have a lot of ways that we think we've gotten smarter than God. Oh God, this old thing about waiting to have sex until I'm getting married. Ha! That's so old-fashioned. Come on. Uh, Who needs to wait? Who does that anyway? It's a new cart. And it sounds fun. And guess what? Sex is a good thing. Ordained by God. Invented by God. God put two naked people in a garden and He said, go for it. But, when we do it the wrong way. Right thing for the right reason, but the wrong way. And it turns into something destructive and horrible and deadly. Ministry. We try to do ministry our own way. We try to help people in our own way. We can have a right heart trying to do the right thing, but we do it the wrong way. And do you know what it causes? It causes God to get angry. You know, God has a, God has a prescribed method for family. And I know that uh, there's a lot of situations and, uh, you know, a lot of us have fun, have fun putting the fun in dysfunction. But there is a prescribed family, ordained family order. Father, mother, children. And when we think, oh, I got a better idea. Let's do it this way, God. And yeah, we want to provide and we want to do the right. And let's just do it a different way. Let's break out from these ancient norms. You know, God has uh, created the human species. And by the way, every other mammalian species in male and female but our culture currently has a a new idea how to do this oh no gender is a is on a spectrum and you could be a little bit lady today and a little bit uh uh man tomorrow and uh and who's going to tell you different more power to you and only to the destruction when we whenever we try to take god's presence and attach it to a new cart it's going to end up deadly. How, what happened when David did this? It arouses the anger of God. Watch this in chapter 13, verse 10. The anger of the Lord. Say the anger. Did you know God gets angry? Did you know that? Some people act like God never gets angry. Very clear. The anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah. He struck him because he put his hand to the ark and died. Verse 11, David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. So what happened, the Bible says that the, 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 the ox that was pulling this cart tripped and started stumbling. So this is not a good thing. The ox started having a problem. He's pulling the new cart that had the ark on it. The ox trips, steps in a hole. Who knows what it was? But he stumbles. And when the ox stumbles, the ark begins shaking, bouncing. The the cart that it's on begins breaking apart. And here's Uzzah. Uzzah is a faithful man in David's army. 
He is a good man. He is a warrior. Remember, he is a good guy trying to do a good thing. He's following his leadership. And he looks over, and here's this cart bouncing up and down. The ark is sliding off the edge. And in his mind, he says, oh no, we can't have the ark hitting the ground. He reaches out his hand to stabilize it, and God kills him. God kills him. Now, I remember when I was a new convert, when I read that, and I said, man, God, you're harsh. God, you need to get saved. I didn't understand. I had an immature view. God was protecting His power and His presence. And when Uzzah reached up his hand to touch the ark, can I tell you, nobody ever touched the ark. In fact, nobody ever even looked at the ark. The normal way that they would treat this ark is they would have their back to it. When it was in its resting place in the temple, it was behind a curtain so nobody could see it. Did you ever see Indiana Jones? (laughs) Representing the power and the presence of God, they wouldn't even look at it. Let's not talk about touching it. So when Uzzah reaches out his hand, even to do a good thing, to stabilize the ark. You know the problem with Uzzah is? It's the same problem we all have. We're cursed by sin. And God would rather have His power and presence land on the ground than to have tainted human hands touching it. The Bible says something very interesting when this happens. Uzzah died before the Lord because he put his hand on the ark. And verse 11 said that David became angry. David became angry because the Lord was defending his holiness. When I read that, I was reminded something that maybe you're not going to hear preached every day, and that is that God holds us accountable. Whose whose mistake was this? It wasn't God's mistake. It wasn't Uzzah's mistake. It was David's mistake. It was David's mistake because he's the one who made the decision. Lord, I want to do the right thing. I've got a right heart. But I'm not going to worry about how to do it. I'm just going to do it the way I think is best. But God will hold us accountable. Matthew 12, 36, I say to you, That for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. Does that apply to you? It sure does. Romans 14.12, each of us shall give account of himself to God. Each of us. That's Paul writing to the Roman church. That's not the sinful world. Each of us shall give account of himself to God. Hebrews 4.13, There is no creature hidden from His sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of Him who we must give account. Does that make you angry? Like David? i got to tell you, I had a dream the other day. (laughs) I already told it to my family. I I have the weirdest dreams, i got to tell you. My, My dreams are so weird. But this one actually made sense for once. I dreamt that I was in a grocery store, and I was pushing the cart through the produce section. And I, I walked by some very beautiful-looking cherries. So, in my dream, I, this is just in my dream. I don't really do this. I picked one of the cherries, and I ate it. And then I just kept walking. <laughs> and then, as I'm going out of the store, 
I'm hearing over the loudspeakers, we do not appreciate customers taking, uh, taking uh, produce and eating it without paying for it. And in my dream, I was ticked. I walked up, I, I looked over and I saw the lady who was making the announcement on the microphone. And I was like, are you talking about me? <laughs> and she's like, you. <laughs> and I walked over there and I had an attitude. And so I, in my dream, I don't, I'm not really like this, but in my dream, <laughs> I walked up to the lady and I said, okay, go ahead and charge me for one cherry. Give me a bill. I'll gladly pay it. But I had a bad attitude. And she said, sir, don't you want to just uh, buy a bottle of water or something? I said, no. Go ahead, ring me up for one cherry. I'll wait. <laughs> and I had a nasty little attitude in my dream. And I think God gave me that dream as an illustration for this right here. God will hold us accountable. I was angry about taking that one cherry. But that stupid supermarket lady was right. Because I just stole something and didn't pay for it. David got angry because God killed one of his good men. But God was right. Can I tell you, you're in dangerous territory if you ever find yourself in an argument with God. If you are duking it out with the Lord, saying, no, Lord, you're not right. Jesus, <laughs> there was a time when Peter said, no, Lord, not so. It's not supposed to be like that. And Jesus said, what? Get behind me, Satan. David got angry, and so do many of us when the Lord holds us accountable for our failures. And so this is the mistake. David did the right thing for the right reason, but he did it in a way that violated God's instructions. Let me ask you, what things in your life right now do you continue on doing even though you know it's wrong? Even though you know that it's not the right way to do it? Let's think about this as we purpose our hearts this morning to begin following the instructions. <laughs> it's really not difficult this morning. It's a very simple thing, but it's not easy. We have a choice to make when we realize that we've been doing things the wrong way. Either we can continue doing the wrong thing and watching while valuable things in our life die around us, or we can figure out why we are killing our own future by inviting God's judgment. How stupid would it be for David to try this again? Let's try it again, boys! Put it back up there in the cart. You know, another, another uh, one of his generals or his soldiers, inevitably, let's make it a stronger cart. Well, you know what? Even a stronger cart's not going to do it. What he's doing is he's doubling down on the stupid. You know, this is a trend in our world today. You ever get caught doing something wrong? Well, I'm going to defend my idiotic decision. Let's double down on the stupid. Because, ah, pff, ask for forgiveness? What is that? I've had this open for like five minutes now. I really need a drink. Thank God, David made a correct choice. He's, he learned from his huge embarrassing failure. Now think about this. He's got a whole army around him. The Bible said 30,000 people came to this city to bring the ark of God back to Jerusalem. 30,000 watched this happen. They're looking at David. Now fast forward two chapters to the scripture we started with, 1 Chronicles 15, verse 13. 
For because you did not do it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult Him about the proper order. So now David says, okay guys, let's get this right. The priests and the Levites sanctify themselves. You know, that takes time. It takes effort. The Levites sanctify themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel. The children and the Levites bore the ark on their shoulders. They said, oh, this cart thing, it was a good idea, but you know what? It wasn't God's idea. So we've got to carry it on our shoulders. That means sweat. That means labor. That means somebody's going to have a, sh- a sore shoulder for the next few weeks. And they said, we're doing this as Moses commanded according to the word of the Lord. You know, to do this correctly, David wanted to do the right thing. He had a right heart, and he's doing the right thing. But now he's got to get the how correct. How do we do it right? And the first thing David had to do was open his Bible. This is the Bible, everybody. Let me introduce it to you. God's word is always correct. If you've come up with a harebrained scheme of how to do it, maybe you should consult the Word of God. That's what David had to do. He said, let's go back to what Moses said. What did he say about this? Anybody remember? No? Okay, let's, let's open the scroll and figure it out. Let's figure out the right way to do the right thing. He had to activate the Levites. He had to instruct someone to carry the ark on their shoulders. And now, now... Two chapters later, David's doing the right thing for the right reason. He's also doing it the right way. What about you? When, you, when, when, uh, when blessings in your life start dropping like flies around you, do you begin to take stock? Hmm, is there something I'm doing the right thing, but I'm not doing it the right way? Let's get back to the Word. You know, God will speak to you through His Word. I'm reminded of Jesus... Jesus, as He's going to the cross, He's just been whipped. His flesh has been torn apart. And one of the common things that they would do for these criminals getting ready to go to the cross is that they would offer them a sour wine. This is in Matthew 27, verse 34. They gave Him sour wine mingled with gall to drink. Why would they do that? Well, that's an ancient form of a Tylenol. It's a way to dullen the pain so that he can get through the torment that's coming next. He's about to carry his cross and then go hang on it for a while. And so, uh, you know, having the, the least amount of uh, mercy toward these suffering criminals, they said, hey, you, want a, you want a little drink here? You want a little sip? Some sour wine mixed with gall, and this was a painkiller. And they were offering this to Jesus as a way to help Him to endure the pain and suffering of the cross. But the Bible says that when they offered it to Him, when He tasted it, He would not drink. I want to ask, why? Why did Jesus refuse the sour wine? Why did He want to experience the full measure of pain? Because he wanted to do the right thing in the right way. To take that sour wine at that moment would have been a corner cut. Would have been a refusal to pay the full price for our sins. And aren't you glad he did? Aren't you glad that there was not, a, 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 there was not still a remaining total at the end of the balance? 
No, He took the full measure of the penalty of our sins and He refused to cut a corner. He said, I'm doing the right thing at the right time and I'm doing it for the right way. In the right way. Let's look at the benefits of doing it the right way from our Scripture. 1 Chronicles 15. What happens when you consult the Lord, you read the Word, and you follow the instructions? What happens in your life when you dedicate yourself to this? Verse 16 says, David spoke to the leaders of the Levites to appoint their brethren to be the singers, accompanied by the instruments of music, instruments, harps, cymbals. But here's the key. By raising the voice with resounding joy. Say the word joy. Do you know who has joy in this life? People who follow the instructions. <laughs> you know who is, uh, who is looking for joy? People who are trying to do the right thing, but they're doing it the wrong way. Say, so where's my joy? I thought, I thought I was supposed to have joy in this life. Well, when, you, when you're doing it the wrong way, you won't have that resounding joy. It's not just joy on the inside, it's resounding. That means all of these instruments and, the, and uh, the singing of the people and they're walking down the street and they're joining in with the people carrying the ark on their... They're doing it the right way. Everybody is ecstatic. You know, they wanted to have that joy the first time. But in the middle of their parade, God killed a guy. You're not going to do it like this. What, how, what do you think the mood was after, they killed, after God killed Uzzah? Oh no, huge embarrassing failure. We did it the wrong way. Let's get serious. The second thing I see is that it allowed ministers to fulfill their calling. Verse 17, the Levites appointed him and son of Joel and his brethren, Asaph, son of Berechiah, their brethren, Ethan, the son of Cushai. Verse 25, so David, all the elders of Israel, the captains over thousands, went up to bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with joy so look the first time david did this he just took command he said let's do this guys he said here's how we're going to do it we're going to put the thing on the cart we're going to get it to jerusalem and bam we're going to have the presence of god back come on and he just skipped over all of the right way to do things the right way to do things is that the levites have to be involved the right way to do things is we got to have some music and some ministry involved David's going to have to give the command, but there's a system of delegation. This is discipleship. See, when David decided to follow the instructions, everybody gets to fulfill their calling. The church was activated. The church was able to be the church, every member doing its part, rather than David just skipping to the end goal. Finally, the Lord helped them. Verse 26, and so it was when God helped, God helped the Levites who bore the Ark of the Covenant and the Lord. Don't you want God to help you? Don't you need His support? Listen, there is so much that we can do. But there are some things only God can do. This is part of my prayer every time we come to a church service like this. Lord, Lord, we can do what we can do. But only You can do what You can do. We need Your help in your life. You've got to lean on Him. There's going to be things that you cannot accomplish in your own strength in your own ability, in your own intellect, in your own strength. There's going to be things that remain undone because only God can do them. And finally, verse 28 says, Thus all Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with shouting and the sound of the horn, trumpets and cymbals making music. 
with stringed instruments and harps. Finally, the presence of God after 20 years of absence, the ark returns to the temple. The presence of God returns. We could say Christ returns to the center. We don't only need to do the right things. We need to do them for the right reason and in the right way. My challenge this morning, as we assess our lives, if we're recovering from a mistake of the past, my challenge to you, learn from what happened and do it right this time, like David did. Let's bow our heads. Close our eyes for just a moment. Thank you for listening to this episode of the VBPH Sermon Podcast. When you listen to these inspiring messages, you are helping to send missionaries from the Chandler Bible Conference in September. If you loved what you heard, please send this message to someone that needs to hear it. Then leave us a review using the links in the show notes so that everyone who wants to find this podcast will see it when they search for it. We cannot thank you enough. See you next time.